Viking Fuel. As always, I'm recording out of sunny San Diego. And uh, for this episode, we'll be talking about methaglins. Uh, I have on the phone with me uh, Robert Radcliffe, who is uh, very well known in the mead community. He's written quite a few books. But uh, what some people may not know about him is uh, he did serve some time in the uh, U.S. Army. And uh, he continues to serve his country uh, with the Department of Defense. And uh, it's always a pleasure for me to uh, be able to talk to another veteran. Uh, Robert, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing uh, very well. I just recently, uh, over the weekend, went to a uh, uh, party for uh, the Quality uh, uh, Ale and uh, Fermentation Fraternity, which is a homebrew club that I just recently joined, and uh, I'm hoping in the future to uh, win a few medals for us. So, uh, I had a Sounds good... a lot more of the fun than my weekend. <laughs> Yeah, uh, from what I understand, you spent a lot of your time uh, moving into your uh, new duty station, right? Yeah, that's what I've been doing all this weekend. It's just I uh, I just got reposted to uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, so I've been out checking out the area, finding my way around. Well, uh, so. I am glad that you're a little bit closer to the West Coast. It makes it a little bit easier for me to talk to you now, at least. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so uh, one. That? Question, uh, I do like to uh, ask just about everybody I have on the show, just because it's always an interesting question, is uh, how did you first start getting into making mead? <laughs> uh, interesting story. Um, uh, my, my first time trying mead uh, was uh, a Christmas gift at a, a game night with some friends, and um, we cracked it and passed it around, and it was not the best made, but we didn't know any better, so we, we thought we were all cool, and we're a bunch of nerds. Um, but it kind of stuck with me. Um, when I was working in uh, Kuwait, I was working in the Middle East as a civilian contractor, and I was on a, a small little postage stamp right up near the Iraqi border, and I found out that a few of my friends were making homemade wine using like Welch's grape juice and sugar and, and, uh, you know, big five gallon water jugs that they repurposed as, as carboys. And I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, I had another friend that was refermenting the non-alcoholic beer, which I thought was pretty disgusting. So (laughs) I never tried that because why go God, why it was bad enough without refermenting it. But the, uh, the whole concept of doing the homebrewing thing, kind of struck a, struck a chord. I'd never thought of doing it before, but uh, I decided I wanted to give it a shot. But everybody and their brother is makes wine, you know. It's it's a it's like a big industry and everything. So and then you know my inner geek wanted to escape, so I started googling online how to make mead because I remembered it was fun and it was unique and if I was giving it away as Christmas gifts and stuff well it was something nobody had ever gotten before because I'd never seen it except just that one time so I, uh, I got online while I was sitting there in my little little hooch in the middle of the desert and started googling how to make mead and the very first hit I got was the got mead website so I, I read everything on their website then then went to the forum I'm actually the one guy I think that read the entire website um, and, and I, I would ask, I asked everybody on there, just, just hounded them for questions. I used to go by Sandman on the Bat Mead website 
in the forums, and I was I used to bug everybody for questions about everything until somebody finally suggested buying Ken Schramm's book. So I did, and uh, it was a great book, lots of information in it, and um, I, I learned quite a bit just from reading that. So I, I went to another DFAC and started collecting honey packets, <laughs> made, made my first batch in the middle of the desert. <laughs> of, uh, Joe's Ancient Orange and it was locked in my wall locker so nobody would know I was doing it <laughs> that's quite a funny story especially for me yeah. being a former military yeah. and knowing if you got caught how much trouble you could get in for something like that <laughs> yeah well I was a civilian at that point so the worst thing I would have got was fired uh, which would have sucked but I was on the back end of my, my time there anyway and I timed it out so that it would be finished just before I left so when it got close to being done, I uh, siphoned it off into like uh, half pint or half liter water bottles. Mm. And um, and at my going away uh, barbecue that I had with like three of my buddies, I, I brought it. I, I had a, it worked out to be about a bottle each, and uh, I just handed them out to everybody. And uh, it was a, a guy that was in my unit when we were in Iraq when we were active, and then. Uh, a buddy that I was, I, I knew from back when I lived in Michigan, and a newly minted O3 who was getting ready to get out of the army, and uh, we were sitting there having a little barbecue out behind the behind the living quarters, and, and we just I pulled these out and had one each person. They were only probably eight or ten percent, you know, and with one bottle with a bunch of bunch of food. It wasn't like we were getting lit or anything, but they were all. Oh, where, where'd you get this? Oh, how come I didn't know you were making it? <laughs> and it's like, hey man, if you knew I was making it, you'd be culpable. Right. It it definitely oh. is a, that's by far one of the most interesting stories I've heard so far about people <laughs> getting into making meat. I wish I started when I was in the military, so I had a similar yeah. story. <laughs> um, well, that's, that was that was my wild, wild, crazy thing to do, and it was towards the end. I was a, like at my last three or four months and it took all of that to get it done. So I didn't care anymore. I was going home anyway. Yeah, I kind of feel like towards the end of whether you're in the military or towards the end of a government job, you kind of drop your pack, so to speak, and everyone kind of has that similar mentality. So it's totally understandable. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, so um, what would you say your favorite recipe that you've done so far is? I know this is a loaded question, especially because you're kind of your own worst critic, but it's one I always like to ask just to hear what people say. Um, yeah, that's, that's, it's not as much loaded as it's a hard one. I mean, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have two books out and the third one on the way if I had enough, had enough favorites to just lock down. I'm still doing the mad scientist thing half the time. <laughs> Very much understandable. If I, had, if I had to really claim one recipe, it would probably be, uh, this, this Polish style meat that I made in 2017. No. Was it 2017? Wait, no. Oh, God, that was several years ago. Never mind. It was two, 2007. I'm sorry. <laughs> 10, 10 years, 11 years ago. Uh, I was doing research on, on, on heavy gravity meats, and I dug up everything I could on how to make meats Polish style with a heavy, the thick, syrupy, like dessert aperitif kind, you know. Hmm. And I, uh, and I made a, I actually made a Polish joniak, which is hard. 
um, ask you know ask Merrick on got me sometimes he's he makes them all the time I've learned way more from him than I ever did researching online myself but uh, that that one recipe I did a um, it was a orange blossom with uh, coriander cardamom and a couple other couple other spices in it I uh, for that recipe when I made that one up I, I got input from uh, from uh, Pete Bakulik and uh, Wayne Bunchek up in Colorado, mm-hmm. and I, I think I, I, if I'm right, I think I asked Ken Tram for some input on it too. Like I said, I bugged everybody. I have no fear when it comes to talking to the old timers that know everything because I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. They knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. They said we'll answer your questions. Great, I'm gonna ask them. Right, and I mean, I've... my first my first dozen recipes were totally composites of several people that had been doing it for years. But I've still got, out of a five-gallon batch, I've still got, like, two or three bottles of that one left. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, yeah. I will say, uh, for me personally, uh, before I started getting into making meat, I did a lot of research just digging into your books, and it helped me out quite a bit there, as well as uh, the Got Mead Forum and uh, the Modern Mead Makers uh, Facebook page. And... Um, Similar to you, I dug a lot on the internet trying to get as much information as I could, and I have found that the more questions you ask, the better off you are for finding the results you're looking for, because there's plenty of people that have made the mistakes you're about to make and will try to stop you from doing it, so... (laughs) Yeah, just, you just gotta keep your mind open and be be willing to listen. Right. Be willing to to wave wade through it because some of it's not good advice right you have to figure out the right people to listen to for sure um so uh the one weird question i like to ask before we get into actually talking about methaglins here is uh out of all of the different types of mead that you have tried aside from your own which one has left the most uh impression for you uh good or bad uh good good impression (laughs) okay um I like, I really, really like big fruit melomels. You know, just like almost jammy, real three, four pound, five pound, six pound per gallon kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just for this, just so dark you can't see through them. And the, the honey actually kind of struggles to find its place, but it sneaks through anyway. Mm. Uh, I, I really like the heavy fruit. Uh, they're very fond of those. Um, more towards the semi-sweet side, but uh, occasionally a good dessert meat will really, really get me the right way. I'll uh, definitely have to let you try a bottle of my Huckleberry Boucher then, because uh, I do about three pounds of Huckleberries uh, per gallon on that one. And oh, uh, yeah, it's, I, I wouldn't mind trying that one at all. It uh, it comes out very, very well, and uh, I use the uh, orange blossom honey on that, and uh, the orange blossom really complements it very well, in my opinion. Yeah, it goes with a lot of stuff. I, I, that nice, little, nice little citrus aftertaste. It's uh, by far one of my favorite honeys to use that I've experimented with so far. I absolutely love it for a lot of different things. Uh, I used it in my sizer, and the sizer came out pretty well, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you have written many different books about making mead, and obviously there are more to follow. Uh, what's your process for uh, writing with the books? Um. I, I started out 
I didn't start out intending to write books or recipe books on making mead. I was just trying to find recipe books about making mead. And every every book that I found was, I mean, I've bought probably most of them. And they're all the same. Mead is one of the oldest drinks we've ever been on the planet. And, oh, here's all the ancients did it. And here's these same old tired 12 recipes that you get in every single book. Mm-hmm. And, and I was dying for ideas and inspiration and, and you know, mm-hmm. I, even just to look at somebody else's work and go, ooh, that sounds really good, but maybe if I tweaked it just a little bit, you know? Right. Maybe uh, if, if it's got two or three different fruits, but I would really rather have this one forward instead of this one. Just mess with – I just was, was lacking the create creative muse, I guess, you know, for something to work with. I learned all my foundations and my fundamentals by, like I said, copying the people who knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But but when it come to came to recipe development, I was coming up high. And eventually I just – I started collecting recipes from wherever I could find them. And every time I get one, I would rework it. You know, just like I was trying to find a book that had all of this already done. But I would find recipes wherever I could. I would take wine recipes. I would take, uh, well, wine recipes mostly, the cider recipes sometimes for, for like the sizer aspect, if I could find them. And then I would just alter things around in them. And then the, the process, it was the ingredients I was looking for. It wasn't the process because I had my own process. I, I do. I'm, I'm really big into the staggered nutrient, mm-hmm. I, all, all that stuff. Everything, something comes out, I'm embracing it and trying it out. So I ended up with a big giant collection of recipe ideas. And then I basically rewrote all of them to my process. And over time, I mean, I, I won't put it in there if I've not made it. So I, I, I did a lot of test batches. And Re- if they, once, once they work out, I put it in the done pile. You know, mm. I've been doing this for... 11, 12 years now, so that's a lot of recipes. Um, I will say, even with the books that I've picked up, even your books, uh, I personally find that modifying is the best way to kind of create your own experience. And uh, you mentioned the modern techniques. Uh, I do feel it's a good idea to at least mention that uh, Tosna 3.0 is out, and uh, people should start looking into that to see what the differences are compared to Tosna 2.0. Oh, you know, I'll be doing it. I'll absolutely read up on it. And you may see that in book three. You probably will see it in book three. I've got to go through and do some stuff. Um, speaking of book three, uh, you uh, have mentioned in uh, the past that book three is going to be about methaglins, which is our subject of uh, the interview today. Uh, yes. I was just curious, uh, what defines a mead as a methaglin for those who are oblivious to this topic? Add spices, boom, it's a methaglin. I mean, the, the category includes straight spices or herbs and spices or fruits, herbs and spices, or fruits and spices. It's, it covers several subcategories. Mm-hmm. A methaglin can absolutely have fruit in it. So, um... It's just a spice meat. If you take a, you take a sizer and throw cinnamon at it, guess what? You have a spiced methaglin. And uh, with spices in mind, uh, even tea is considered a spice in that regard, correct? Yeah, yeah, that works. Okay, so... Um, I, mean, I use I use uh, mesh bags that I order online for my spice additions, and they're basically tea bags. Hmm. So, I mean, 
I won't. I will not say that I've not done the Earl Grey. You know, throw a throw a bag of bergamot in there in a in a straight mead, and boom, you got Earl Grey methylene. and it's good. Mm-hmm. It's fast. It's tasty. It was pretty quick too. Only a couple months. Um. My first methaglin was actually a uh, chai tea mead, and uh, I used a uh, cider yeast for it, and I only went to about thir- uh, about eight percent alcohol content on it, and uh, I was really yeah, happy. With- yeah, I was really happy with the results though that I got from it. It came out really good. It was still pretty sweet, but the tea taste was very strong in it, to where it was nice and balanced because of that. Yeah. I'm working on, I'm, I'm actually working on uh, several versions of uh, chai recipes right now offline. And uh, my, uh, I, it's like I've taken, I, I, I know a lot of people, I've known people that have won medals making a chai meat just using a mix that they bought from the store. But what I've, I've been doing is I've taken like six or eight different chai tea recipes, taking all the ingredients and I'm, I'm picking and choosing the ones I want and the different variables. and. Uh, I'm, I'm going to create, I'm creating my own chai recipe, basically. That's and it, it, very That one will be in book three. When it, it, if it means leaving it offline an extra six months, I'll, that one will be in book three. I'm going to call it chai root. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely am interested in that. I know um, me and you have had a few conversations about that one in the past, uh, when I first started my chai tea uh, recipe. Um. So, are there any spices that can prevent fermentation or stop fermentation uh, if they're added in primary? I don't think so. Okay, um, I haven't heard anything. I guess, I mean, unless it cranks up the acid too much, you know, like I wouldn't want to put too much lemon peel in. Right, and I, I could see the citric acid could be too much there. I haven't heard much about this preventing uh, fermentation, but it was the question I felt would at least need to be addressed. And uh, for any listeners of the podcast that have a good answer for this question, I do feel like that is something that could help everyone in the future, just having more information on that. If there is, I'd love to know it. I, I agree, I would too. I'd because, like I said, I don't pretend to know everything. I'm just a guy that likes to make mead. Right, and I mean, none of us know everything, and it's always good to find other people that have the knowledge as well. So, um, As with any recipe, using spices involves having a balance, just like if you were doing uh, cookies in your kitchen or making a lasagna. Uh, are there any tips you would suggest to people for keeping the spices from overpowering their mead? Uh, constant taste testing. Um, when you're adding herbs, uh, blend them into a tea or brew them into a tea, add it in primary, uh, flavor that, you know, get the tea, how strong you want it, taste it before you pour it in, mix it with the, with the, with the must before you pitch and taste it. Um, after when you go into secondary, the secondary is where you add your spices, put them in a spice bag or a, a, a hops bag or something. And, uh, basically it's a lot of tasting and testing, uh, I'd say test like every hour or so, and when it's just under the level that you actually want it to, pull the spice back because it'll get it'll get stronger. You know the, what you're tasting right now, you're going to taste more of down the road a little bit after you've pulled the back. And just uh, don't be afraid to go in stages. You know, oh well, I think it's going to take this much, but I'm not quite sure. Well, then put in a little bit less. You can always add more. Mm-hmm. It's like on a cold day. You can always take off a layer if you wear too many coats. 
you can't put another one on if you don't have it. Right. Um, however, if you except, do... Except the other way around, in this case. Right. Uh, if you do overpower a mead with spices, could you, uh, in turn, take a mead that you've made with the same type of honey uh, without the spices and blend it to kind of reduce uh, the overpowering factor? Sure. You're just you're increasing the volume and the spices being spread out with the extra volume. So yeah, that would that would definitely do a little bit down. Okay, that's definitely uh, good to know. Um, I blend I blend meads all the time. It is something uh, I need to start playing around with a little bit more. I haven't done it too much yet, but it's something I do want to start trying out a little bit more um, to get more into the mad scientists' uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, experimentation. I'm really trying to get out of that, but I think I'm going to be stuck in that mode for a few more years. I, I, I think the farther into being a mean maker I go, the more crazy my ideas start to get. And sometimes it turns into just absolute failures because of that because I, I want to go way too far above and beyond and other times yeah, it turns into great products that's going to be my last book is going to be weirder mills <laughs> uh, basically i did what <laughs> <laughs> and i mean there's there's some really weird beads out there i've seen them and i've made them myself so i'm sure there'll be plenty of people interested in that book um, so, uh, with methaglins, could oaking them, uh, help to add more flavors that would complement them? And, uh, is there anything you should be worried about when oaking a methaglin? Um, I have not oaked a methaglin, but they get aged in oak. It's just don't over oak it, I guess. I mean, a lot of your earlier recipes were methaglins mm -hmm. and they did age them in barrels. So... Yeah, you can oak them. Um, I would, I'd like anything else, try not to overdo it. I don't know any spices that would be off-putting if they were aged on some wood. But I, I kind of stopped oaking things years ago just because I, I liked the, I like oak meats. I just stopped doing it for some reason. Nothing, nothing particular. I remember over-oaking one once. Thankfully, I had a whole other batch. It was an oak blueberry. Hmm. And uh, thankfully, I had uh, like five gallons of elderberry candy, so I, I it made a blueberry elderberry, and it got that oat down enough that it was palatable. And uh, yeah, that's one of my wife's favorites. That definitely uh, does sound like one that would be interesting to try out. Um, I've I've been thinking about trying to use Hungarian oak in a coffee mead because, from what I've heard, Hungarian has uh, coffee notes, and I feel like it might complement it really well. See, that, that, that sounds intriguing. I would be very interested in seeing how that turned out. I've had some really good coffee meats, and yeah, a little bit of Hungarian oak would probably set that off nicely. I've heard a lot of really different ways of doing coffee mead, too. And I, actually, now that I'm talking about it, I am curious, would coffee count as a spice for methaglin, or is it just a, a weird subcategory of its own? See, I'm not... Well, I'm not the defining defining resource like this. I would call it a spice. Mm -hmm. Is coffee categorized as a spice? Google it. You know, I think it is. I mean, I, I know personally I would think it would because if you consider tea as a spice, coffee should fall in that same category. I, I guess I'm mainly asking for like competition's sake and it's something I'm definitely going to have oh, to yeah, look I into myself. I, I totally understand. I, I get the question. I, mm. I wouldn't be the one to answer that, but 
if I was brewing up a coffee meet and I wanted to submit it, I well, for I think I'd ask the judges before I submitted it if I could, but I would do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, worst case scenario, you're going to get some good feedback anyway, and they're going to go, "Yeah, this really should have been in this other category." But then you could go, "Well, why?" Right. Because coffee, coffee's a spice, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of competitions allow you to submit the same bottle into multiple categories anyway, so why not submit it into the multiple categories? Sure. I've done that. No. So, um, with your books, uh, just to give people a chance to know where to find them, uh, where all are the places that people would be able to find your books? Uh, right now, your best bet is still Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, they're both available on Amazon, and, and I mean, they're print-on-demand. I don't have crates of these things laying around. They get printed <laughs> when you order one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also starting to reach out to, to commercial meteries, and uh, and see if they want to keep some in stock because I can order owner copies and have them drop shipped wherever. Then I just got to invoice them. But I'm, I'm starting to do, starting to get a little more involved in it. I, I was, you know, with all the traveling I've been doing the last few years, I, I really didn't want to get too hands on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I started I started writing these books on a bet. My, my son dared me to. <laughs> I was making, I was making a recipe book to hand down to my kids, and my son took one look at it and said you should write a few chapters and publish this. It would do well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he basically told me to put up or shut up because I always told him, don't let fear of the unknown stop you from trying at something new. And well, there you go. Well, <laughs> I'm certainly glad that your son pushed you because, uh, your book is by far one of my favorites. I go to it all the time. And I appreciate that. Um, with uh, your next book uh, coming out, when can we expect to see the Methuglin book? I'm sorry? Uh, when can we expect to see the book on Methuglin's out? Oh, yeah, it'll be at least another year. I, I, I have to proof out at least 10 more, ten or 12 more recipes, and, and I'm only, my brewing equipment just showed up in Arizona uh, this last week. <laughs> and I'm in New Mexico, so... You're I'll still... Pick that up over Christmas. So a little bit of a Christmas present for yourself there, in a sense. Yeah, and I'm currently still hoteling, so I don't even have a house yet. Oh. Once I have a place, once I have a place and I'm settled in for for a few years, then I'm gonna start. Then I'll start uh, brewing up again, and I, I'm gonna try. I'll get there. That is my highest priority, though, as far as uh, brewing is. I'm just gonna make. I've got like 16 or 18 five-liter carboys, and they'll all be lined up. I did the same thing while I was in the UK. I had a whole room set aside and I had them. Actually, if you look at the back of my first book, there's a picture of me with a big shelf of carboys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's my brewing area. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be, I'm going to be proofing out all the rest of the recipes that I want to put in this one. And then once, once I've tasted all of them, then I'll have it out ASAP. Well, that's uh, definitely something that I know I'm personally... Uh, Really excited to see come out. Nacer Cup 2019, maybe. Or, wait, wait, no, this is 2020. Nacer Cup 2020, it should be out by then. Okay, that's... Barring any unexpected relocations. Right, which, I mean, with the military, it's always... You're at the whim of the machine. I'm in a uniform, but I'm still at their whim. Yeah, you're at the whim of the machine there, so I understand that completely. Yeah. Um, I think I've taken up quite a bit of your time. I've got one last question before I let you go, which, uh, is, uh, 
If there's any advice that you could give to somebody just starting to make mead, what would it be? Um, <laughs> this is going to come counterintuitive. Don't buy my book. <laughs> uh, I'm tar- my books my books are targeted at intermediate level brewers who actually have their foundations down already in fundamentals and have a concept of how to at least make it halfway decent traditional. Um, mm. There's there's plenty of books out there that will teach you those fundamentals. Buy one of those first. And after you get those, then buy my books. Because I'm actually I, I'm kind of halfway cutting my own throat. Is I I'm marketing to a niche of a niche market. Mm. Intermediate meat brewers already have a pretty good handle on stuff. And I'm, I'm like you said, you know, you read my recipes and the first thing through your mind is, I think I'd like to try it this way. Mm -hmm. That was my purpose of publishing them. I want people to look at them and go, this sounds good. I'm inspired, but I would like to do this to it. Mm -hmm. And, And I've had people, I think you told me that once even that you did that. And I was stoked seriously thrilled that you said that because it it means you're thinking Mm -hmm. you're using your imagination on it you're using your creativity on it i'm my recipes will that i publish out will make good meats they're not uh, most of them aren't going to make metal winning meats but they'll make good meats Mm -hmm. there are quite a few metal winners in book two (laughs) (laughs) but well notwithstanding um i i'm i'm providing people with with material that will make them reach and stretch a bit. Um, I would buy Ken's book. Uh, it's a, a little bit chemistry at, you know, a little bit sciencey at times more so than I, my eyes glazed once or twice on some of his tables because Ken is really very smart. Mm-hmm. He gets into the microbiology and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll sit down at major cup or one of the big events with some of these guys in a little clutch and they start talking, you know, the, the microbial aspects and uh, I feel like a moron because, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I don't do that stuff. Oh, jeez. Well, I, I mean, I can understand why when you, you have the president of the Mazer, Pete, he's got a degree in microbiology. So yeah, and and yeah, and, and Pete, man, Pete, I've used Pete to, uh, for input on at least a dozen recipes, and he's always willing to help. He'll always answer questions. Um, and Ken, and Ken Shrimp. Ken has answered every question I've ever asked him. Happy to do it. He's mm-hmm. a great guy. Carvin Wilson. You know, he just appeared a couple of years ago. Carvin, I think Carvin knows more about this stuff than I do now. And he's another, he's a, a former Marine too. But he's, mm-hmm. uh, he's a really smart guy. Lives uh, lives out in Arizona. That's another reason I'm looking forward to getting out there more so I can join his brewing club. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, the best advice I could say is uh, read everything. Mm-hmm. Ask questions. Ask, ask, ask questions. Don't feel silly. Don't feel stupid to ask the questions. Ask them. Because none of us knew all this stuff when we first started out. Mm. And if you don't want to make the same mistakes, ask people that are already doing it. And if they point you at a book, read it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I actually had the pleasure of uh, meeting both uh, Pete and uh, Carvin at uh, Lost Cause Meadery uh, not too long ago when uh, they were hosting a uh, post-fermentation event. And uh, both of them are really incredibly friendly people. Uh, oh, I'm actually yeah. looking at getting both of them on the podcast here soon. And uh, I'm really excited for both of those conversations in the future as well. If you get to Mazer Cup, Carvin throws wicked after parties. Uh, I have been seeing the experiments he's doing with the high temp uh, meads, and I'm really in- interested in how that's going for him. I'm hoping I can talk with him about that for the podcast. 
yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to trying a few of those. All right, well, uh, I think I've taken up quite a bit of your time, Robert. Uh, hopefully you enjoy your uh, new home and are able to get settled in here shortly. And uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one uh, who's saying that they're really looking forward to your next book. Well, like I said, I appreciate that. And uh, I'm, I'm just glad people like it or like them. <laughs> and uh, I'll keep writing them. I've got, at least, I've got at least three more to do. Well, uh, I'm sure I'll try to pick up at least a copy of every single one, and I will continue to recommend them as much as possible. So, Thank you. Well, uh, as always, this has been Viking Fuel, and until next time, Skull.